Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davis, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. I'm glad you're here because this is the culmination of a series of episodes that we've uh, put together on grief and loss and what that looks like from different avenues of life, different perspectives. Um, And to have a conversation on this today, we have back on the podcast, one of our favorite guests, that's Ryan Waters. He's our content strategy director here at Grace Story. Uh, Ryan, how you doing? Doing well. Glad to be back. Oh, and we're glad to have you. You know, I was thinking um, as I got ready for this episode, it's kind of ironic, and I'm not sure if that's the right word, but maybe interesting rather that as we're talking on these episodes about loss and grief, um, we, we got a big surprise this last week. We have a, a black lab named Olive. She's uh, just the most loyal, loving dog. Our one-year-old loves her. Um, our five-year-old, uh, just they run around the house. They have a lot of fun. Um, and she's been in our lives for, forever, it seems. She's 13 years old. But just this last uh, couple weeks, She's been having some issues, uh, some coughing, which I didn't even know dogs got coughs, but apparently that's something. Uh, And then, you know, it it culminated in this episode in the backyard where she actually collapsed. We're not sure if she fainted or or what happened, but we took her to the vet and long story short, uh, got diagnosed with something very rare in a dog. Apparently that's terminal lung cancer. So, you know, from one moment, everything's fine. And the next we move into our family dog having to make decisions about end of life. And is it a couple weeks, a couple months? Uh, How far do we let her go? She's already lost several pounds in weight. You know, just some of those things. Uh, How do I explain this to my kids? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the dog's just always been there. They've never dealt with death before. And what does a forever goodbye look like? Um, and I found myself doing some of the things, uh, you know, we had a question in the, the last episode with Don Davison talking about loss and transitions of life. And it was, uh, if all loss isn't equal, how can I know that my loss matters? Mm-hmm. And I found myself kind of, uh, it's just a dog. Um, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I shouldn't even be feeling the way I feel about this, but, but it is, it's, it's loss. Uh, sure. And I just wanted to start off this episode by re-asking that question to you as a licensed counselor. Um, and you can rephrase it if, if all loss is equal or if loss isn't equal. But um, I just want to pose that to you as we start here. If all loss isn't equal, how can I know that my loss matters? Yeah, great question. And it's something we'll be digging into throughout the podcast today in some form or fashion which is what really is loss. And I think the belief that my loss isn't as significant, uh, there's kind of two worldviews. You can have an, uh, operate out of a mindset of deficit or abundance. And so if you operate out of a mindset of deficit, that's kind of like we're all sharing from the same grief pie. And if I take this much, then you don't have as much for your grief over here. And I don't think that's really how life works. It's certainly not how God works. We serve a God who's infinite and so is just as able to show up for the loss of a 30-year partner in marriage as the loss of Olive. He's just as able and just as present in those moments. That actually, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that would, to to think that, that there's only a finite amount of grief to go around, that'd be like saying there's only a 
finite amount of weight to lose or something, you know, if, yeah. if I'm losing it, somebody exactly. else is getting it. That's, that's not how any of it works. That's interesting. Um, yeah. But back to your point, you know, how does that, uh, what's the other, the other issue of the other side of that that you were talking about? Yeah. They're just operating out of abundance and realizing that let's, let's use compassion. There's not somehow a finite. And if I give so much compassion to you that I'm not going to have enough to give to the next person, like compassion is a, I don't know, a renewable energy, if you want to call it that, that flows out of what I believe is God's heart for humanity. And so my capacity to show up and be present for someone's loss of a job doesn't mean that I can't show up and be present for someone else uh, in in a different way. All right. So just to channel maybe a listener on this, I'm hearing what you're saying. It makes logical sense. But Tying that into, I may still, as I listen to you, still be thinking, I don't feel like my loss matters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, what would you say to a listener uh, that may feel that way, even though they hear what you're saying? Well, we touched on a component of this in episode 11, and then Dr. Rick Butts would have touched on it in the following episode 12. This really comes down to the core issues. Do we have the capacity to hold ourselves in warm, positive regard? In other words, are we worth going through the grief process? Do we value ourselves enough to honor that space? And when we don't, or when we've been told we don't have that right, or our value has never been validated to the point where we feel we have a right to do that, then phrases like, I just need to get over this, or this isn't that big of a deal, or come on, you know, buck up, just deal with this. Those kinds of phrases get internalized much more quickly whenever we struggle to hold, hold ourselves in that warm, positive regard. So the deeper issue is really addressing that to enable yourself to go through the grief. Well, I love, I love how all this, this information comes around and interconnects because I know in our Grace Story community group on Facebook, um, and you can join that, it's a closed group, and, and we have instructor sessions in there. But Ryan, in your last session, you kind of talked about some of these boundaries as well, and, and they yeah. relate. Um, but you know, one thing I would say to everyone that's jumping in and and listening to our conversation, um, if you do feel that way, don't beat yourself up further because you don't, you don't feel like you can validate your feelings. I mean, this is something you're listening, you hear it, you understand it and you're like, okay, I recognize that, but you're still going to feel what you feel. It's just what you do with it moving forward that matters. So an opportunity to grow an opportunity to continue on your journey of restoration, um, I want to circle back though, Ryan, before we move forward and kind of just help us understand from, from the perspective of a counselor, what is grief, uh, in loss? So grief is a natural response to loss. And so it's, it's open-ended and some people think of grief as a, a single event. It's, it's really not, it's very much a process and it's very fluid So most people have heard of kind of the stages of grief, bargaining, denial, anger, eventually arriving at acceptance. And those aren't necessarily wrong or inappropriate, but you have to be careful with that because you don't want to misinterpret that as somehow a a linear event. Think of it as, oh, uh, maybe buffer walls on a ping pong or a uh, pinball machine, you know, you'll be bouncing back and forth and you'll hit those from time to time. But it's not like this, some, a train station with, with stops that you, that you go through. Uh, So the, the loss that activates that grief can be 
very different from person to person. And that's what we've already been talking about. Maybe the loss of a, a family pet or the loss of a loved one or loss of a job. Well, and what I'm hearing you say there along with that is that the ping pong effect or, or the pinball effect rather, um, those stages of grief, it's not like I, I get up to the top rung and I've achieved grief success. Yeah, <laughs> I've overcome grief. Uh, it's more like, you know, there's something you experience and go through different stages that you can move in between or yeah. back and forth. And it's not necessarily you're regressing. Uh, maybe. Absolutely. Is that a fair way to say that? Yeah. So I'll th- let me throw out two different. Well, at least one analogy. If I have the time, I'll throw in a second. But um, and I'm going to ask you to draw a visual with me in your mind's eye. Envision just a square box. And inside that box, on one little corner, is a red button. And that's called the pain button. And so also inside that box is a a ball. We'll say a basketball. And there's not a lot of room inside there. And so that ball is always bumping up and hitting that pain button. And the early stages of grief, that's what it's like. That button gets hit a lot. In Typical grief, as you experience healing, as you gain space from the act, the event that 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 loss, that ball tends to shrink in size a little bit. It may go down to the size of a volleyball, then it may go down to the size of a kickball, and then you know you just keep moving down. But remember that there's still a ball in there that's going to hit that pain button sometimes, and so it may get hit less frequently as you gain some distance from that loss, but it's still going to be there and you may not know when it's going to come up or what's going to activate it. But just because you're still experiencing pain a long time after the loss doesn't mean you're doing something wrong or you're not grieving right. Like, no, that's not at all. That's just how the grief process works. I love that imagery. That that really helps explain some things, but it makes me wonder what your second analogy is too, because if that one's good, there must be, this one must be good as well. Well, this was one I um, was listening to someone who works a lot with with grief, and they were they used this analogy and it really resonated with me. They said, "Imagine you have a, a day at the beach, and you're just really enjoying your time there. Maybe you're taking a nap, and then out of nowhere, this giant tidal wave just comes crashing in. I mean, you can just imagine the trauma of that. You just get startled, but it doesn't just hit you; it pulls you back out to sea." And so you're floundering out there and you don't really know which way is up or down. It's terrifying. Um, And that's a little bit what grief can feel like, especially right after a significant loss. Like you don't know what to hold on to. You have no idea which way is up or down or otherwise. And you're just reeling from life. But there are some things you can do. And that's pull a life raft around you or a life jacket. And that's safe people, safe relationships, a grief counselor, someone to walk with you that isn't going to instantly pull you back to shore, but they will help keep you afloat and help you move towards safety. Listening to that, I'm not sure whether to be encouraged or discouraged. <laughs> uh, I, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because, I mean, it, it's the visual of somebody that maybe has worked through some grief and now they're doing some everyday things there on the beach. Uh, but through no fault of their own, uh, some tidal wave has pulled them back into. So this is sounds like just some monster that's going to be lurking in my life mm-hmm. for who knows how long. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if yeah. I like that analogy as much, but it certain, but it certainly helps me understand. Um, yeah, this is not something that's going to be over 
just because I reached that top rung and success, I've overcome grief. That's really a good visual. Yeah. And that's one of the, the unfortunate side effects of some of the early uh, work around grief was that it was this very linear process that took about one year and then you were good to go. And the reality is it's very different for each person. And one in 10 people will experience what's called complicated grief, where it's where you get stuck in that process. And that can be extraordinarily painful. And so understanding that uh, grief looks different for each person and how to differentiate when someone really gets stuck in the process and how to help them through that is some of the groundbreaking work in the grief field. Well, let me let me ask you this, because we, we've kind of alluded to in, in the opening, you know, there's there's not all these certain like equations for, Hey, this is, you calculate this and that's okay. That's worth grieving. Okay. Yeah. Let's see what, what do you have? A, no, no, that's not worth grieving. Um, yeah. so what kinds yeah. of things can I, or should I, when, when is it appropriate to grieve? What mm-hmm. kinds of things can I grieve? And hopefully you say it's okay to grieve a dog because, because that's something <laughs> that we're doing as a family unit right now. Well, if it's any consolation, no, I've shed my fair share of tears over lost dogs too. For and uh, so, I want to be careful here, though, in that I don't want to move into the place of being the arbiter of determining what is appropriate for grief and what's not, because that would kind of disagree with the original premise of we're operating out of abundance. Like there's enough space and compassion and room for all grief to be acknowledged and 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 seen. So maybe I'll just speak of some of what I've seen show up in my office frequently, and um, maybe that can be validating for other people to hear. So one of the biggest ones I hear is grief around the loss of what you thought a relationship would be. So this could be some kind of betrayal trauma, and then a spouse has to pick up the pieces and figure out, do I want this relationship? And if so, it's going to be dramatically different than anything I imagined it would be. So let me, uh, back to analogies here. Let me use another one here. Uh, there is a, uh, a treatment center that specializes in working with couples. And one of the exercises they have couples do early on is they each bring to the, uh, to the treatment center an item that they view as representative of their marriage. And so they each bring that, and then at the same time, they smash it because there's loss of dreams about what that would be. And then from those pieces, they make a new item using both of those pieces, those shattered remnants. And so that is grief in a nutshell. It's a death to what you thought would be, hoped would be, dreamed would be, and out of that resurrecting what reality is afterwards. Well, in listening to that, it's, I hear the marriage dynamic, but you know, one of the things that, that I think of right now is, uh, some of our, our listeners who, who aren't married, who are in those relationships, uh, or multiple relationships as they move through them before they find yeah. someone or no one. Um, but there's loss in grief in breakups. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. It, and I think it's easy for people who, are married or have dedicated themselves to a life of singleness or, you know, whatever that may be to minimize that type of grief and minimize mm-hmm. others grief of like, Hey, you know, this is, uh, the broken road that leads you to the one 
Um, you know, some of those things that just, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta move through relationships to teach you who the right person is going to be. Um, but in the moment, I mean, my goodness, if I think back to some of those breakups, they're traumatic and, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I know people that did eat for a week because of it. I mean, there's manifestations in your physical, uh, just what you do, your actions. Um, so I mean, thinking of it that way, there's that, that grief, that loss, it's a death, um, mm-hmm. a smashing of hopes and dreams. Cause you don't go into a relationship like, eh, we'll see if it works. Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. dedicated, I guess, but you know, at least not ideally. Well, and not if you're serious anyways, but maybe that's another episode of, of how to get into relationships and, and look how to look correctly for, for the, for a life partner. I mean, have you, have you had anybody or an example of someone like that just so devastated by uh, uh, breaking up in a relationship uh, being a single person again come into your office and have that complicated grief from that where they're they're stuck yeah absolutely and first of all back to the original piece very valid absolutely uh, something that's uh, if you want to use the term worth worth grieving and that person is worth having that space honored for them and pain's very real. I mean, it shows up in their uh, struggle to uh, engage in life in meaningful ways, to trust again when trust has been broken. Uh, It can show up physically, uh, the struggle to eat food or to take care of themselves well. So it shows up with all of the signs of very intense grief and helping them understand that they have a right to experience that. And that there is hope on the other side of that is part of what we do in my office. Well, and let me, let's dig in a little bit right there because while sure. while this isn't a counselor session, um, uh, there are I'm sure there's someone that it's resonating with them. Like, hey, yeah, I mean, I I feel like mm-hmm. I've moved on from a relationship, but man, it's still painful. What are one or yeah. two things that you may say to a person like that in your office, or activities you have them work through? to deal with that, that grief. And do those same things apply to other, uh, stages of grief or other people's type of grief? Sure. Absolutely. So a couple of things that are are really useful, uh, and for anyone who has experienced that grief, uh, no, just having someone say, I see it. I, I, I'm, I'm in there with it, uh, with you in it. And, it's very valid. That can be very empowering, very calming even, just to know that you are seen. Uh, so that's one thing I spend a lot of time doing, just making sure the other person feels like I see them and making sure that I genuinely do see and understand the pain as best as I possibly can. As far as things that we do to move through it, uh, there's a variety of exercises. One that I find myself returning to is finding a way to uh, get those emotions onto, onto paper, onto page, onto some physical representation of it. So a common example would be writing a letter to someone who is gone or, and actually back to your analogy, I use this sometimes with the breakup of a meaningful relationship, writing a letter that maybe that person never reads, but you express your heart. And that could be your hopes and your dreams that have been shattered with the ending of that anger, sadness, and then taking that letter, wrapping it up in some kind of a seed, 
of a plant or uh, and planting it in the ground and then representing okay this part of my life is uh, not as I expected it to be but out of it's going to emerge something very good something very beautiful so there can be a variety of exercises along those lines but many times finding a way to externalize that emotion inappropriate in meanings can be very uh, beneficial to those experiencing grief. And if you're, if you as a counselor, as a professional are returning to those, it sounds like there's, you know, success with that of people being able to get out of that muck uh, without, you know, losing the boot and, and, and continue to walk forward in their journey. Absolutely. Now I've had folks explain like, you know, I shed a lot of tears doing this, but it's, I found that I am able to live in a calmer space and my thoughts are more ordered afterwards. So not a one size fits all by any means, but it's one of the tools in the toolkit. Sure. And I know, uh, uh, one person whose tool, uh, in their toolkit was to go into a closet and scream into a pillow. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, just that cathartic, just, so not a one size fits all, but, Absolutely. Uh, you know, different things for different people. I want to go to one thing you said while you were talking there though, um, you know, about being validated and having someone be there with you. Um, and, and when you're with someone, a lot of times there's conversation, a lot of times there's spoken word. And I would just maybe want to shift that to, uh, if you find yourself in that moment with someone who's experienced loss, um, what are some things that, um, that you should or should not say uh, to someone who's grieving. And also before you give us those, are there examples that you've heard people say to you in your sessions of things that were not helpful uh, to someone Mm. in real life and just, just maybe how did it affect them? Yeah. So common ones I've heard either just in life or in my office, but phrases like, well, you just need to move on or you'll, you'll get over it. It'll be okay. Or, you know what? You just need to let that go. You just have to let that go. Well, those really aren't helpful in the moment. They don't give the person, they don't help the person feel seen for one thing. And they basically convey the message. The person should not be where they are. And so it's very invalidating in that sense. What I think is more helpful are phrases to let the person know that it's okay where they are, not that it's the pain is good, but they have a right to experience that and that you're there with them in it. So phrases like, this has to be so hard and I don't understand everything, but no, I'm in your corner. And hey, you don't got to get it right and say the right things around me. It's okay to be raw. Well, it's interesting you say those things uh, because as I'm thinking about them, the person's going to feel what they're feeling, whether you tell them uh, that they should not be feeling that or not. Just, yeah, you know, you, hey, buck up, move on. We say that a lot on this because that's that seems to be the sentiment that most people come in with because they, they do want you to not be stuck here. That yeah. person probably wants you to move on. Um, and they want you to start feeling happy again or, you know, hopeful or the, yeah. the future is bright. Why can't you see that? But in the moments of grief, uh, when you're feeling what you're feeling and you don't know what to do with it and you're confused, you're mm-hmm. still feeling that whether someone tells you, uh, no, 
just stop it. You're okay. Um, yeah. Everything's okay. Uh, so what, what other things should we be thinking about and what frame of mind should we have as we uh, receive and give uh, these types of affirmations or uh, uh, words yeah. of, of concern to people? Well, one thing I would tease out for someone who is comforting someone in grief, I, I understand that can be sitting with someone else's discomfort can be uncomfortable for you. So ask yourself the question, is my motivation for trying to relieve their discomfort because I'm uncomfortable or because I want the best for them? And I, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Many times we want them to feel better because their discomfort is making us feel awkward or we don't know what to do. And that is not the ideal way of uh, ideal motivation rather for trying to work with someone in the middle of grief. So let's, let's park there just for a second. Cause as, as I'm, uh, if I recognize as I'm feeling or recognize that I have done that, if I start mm-hmm. to feel uncomfortable like that, how can I, I, I assume I'm not just going to magically feel comfortable. Um, but what can I do during that time as I recognize that I'm feeling uncomfortable so that I don't project yeah. that onto the other person? Recognize what your responsibility is. Your responsibility isn't to alleviate their discomfort, to fix this for them, to make them not be in grief. Your responsibility is to be present, to show kindness and love and let them know that you feel compassion for them. And that's it. So you're saying I, I don't have to say anything necessarily. I know we've said that in other podcast episodes, but yeah, absolutely, uh, just be there. Because sometimes what happens when we feel that discomfort we, it's because we're taking on responsibility. Like we're taking on the fix it end of things. Okay. This person's a discomfort. I have to regulate them. What do I have to do to get them back into a calm space? Well, in reality, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be a good human, a good brother and sister in Christ and show up and be present and show love. And that's, that's an easier standard to meet. Okay. Because then you can stay in your humanity instead of moving into divinity and trying to control another human being. Instead, you let them know, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I deeply love you and I deeply want the best for you. And I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to stay here and sit with you until we figure that out. Again, I, I love how the the information, the resource of, of this ministry just keeps coming full circle. And boundaries and how we how we have people interact with us um, in our realities but let's circle around to the other person here the person receiving it so let's say i have someone who wants to be there for me they haven't listened to this episode so they don't know that their discomfort (laughs) is just ruining this moment that we could have of growth healing restoration um you know because i think with someone something like what i'm going through with with a dog people have they have the ability to empathize with that and they can tell you their story of their mm-hmm. pet and you know they understand what how they went through it but not everybody has well for for example Paul Stetler's st- story where he lost a spouse not everybody yeah. has that story and not everybody knows how right. to interact with that individual um you know or or listening to uh, Mark Cravens when he had his episode about the wheels coming off in his life and the mm-hmm. loss of his identity through that, and people didn't know how to interact with him. Um, so mm-hmm. let me ask it this way. Um, so if people are just being weird, 
around me. <laughs> you know, I've lost yeah. something at whatever level it might be, but I, I recognize that people, even in the relationships closest to me, they're just being weird because they don't know mm-hmm. how to interact because they're having that, they're having that discomfort. What are some ways if the people around me are acting weird or different towards me, how do I deal with that in loss? Cause I don't need anything else in my life right now. I'm already dealing with enough. How do I deal yeah. with that? Well, I would say that's going to be dependent on the quality of relationship with you that you have with that person. So if it's someone that is very close to you and you really want to foster that relationship, then it may be worth the effort of doing some education with them. Hey, here's how I will feel the most supported and validated by you. It's not when you give me the right answers. It's when I know that you get me and you care. So I really need you just to listen and to hear me and understand. If it's a more distant relationship, someone you meet once a year, you may just say, thank you for that and move on and not have to, because it takes energy out of you to go through that education process with someone. So depending on where they fall out along that spectrum, your response will be, will be different for each person. But don't, bottom line, don't be afraid to ask for what you need in that situation. And so that may mean interrupting the person and saying, I can tell you care about me and you're trying to be as helpful as you possibly can be. Are you open to hearing some ideas on what I really need in this moment from you? And if the person says, gets offended or says no, well, that's not necessarily because of you. You just stumbled upon where their heart really is in that. And that just clarifies the dynamics of the relationship. But if the person is genuinely in their corner, they're going to want to know how to best help you and and what would be the most beneficial for you in that moment. I love that. Well, and, and it makes me think about something as you're uh, doing that is getting real, being authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that alone can make some people uncomfortable because uh, we have this facade in our lives that of how we interact with others sometimes even with the people closest to us um, in relationships, that facade is very important to maintain that relationship. And if you break that down, even for a moment, you can get that punch back of, eh, no, facade, back up. Don't, don't do yeah. that. No, in order for us to interact, it has to be on these terms. And some of that's boundaries, sure. Yeah, sure. But as you get real and authentic, you understand where those things are and you realize how authentic relationships are. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that's a vulnerable place to be in. As you try to interact with someone on that level, you may find another level of loss of what type of relationship you thought you had. Um, that's Very scary. True. That's scary. Yeah. Well, and back to an example, that's another piece that I, I wrestle with quite a bit, like putting boundaries in place. People will say, well, man, if I do this, that could very well mean the ending of this relationship. And then you have to deal with the grief around that because there's disillusionment that takes place. What I thought I really had with this person doesn't reflect the reality of what's showing up when I start putting boundaries in place. It can't withstand it. And so the boundaries aren't what broke it. The boundaries were a flashlight that really lit up the situation so you could see for for what it really is. Well, as we're talking about this, it just makes me think of how hard just life is and how much easier it it is and why we put up some of those facades, why we are okay with interacting at a, just a level that is not intimate with most people. 
Because yeah. the risk of getting hurt, uh, and I'm not just talking about love relationships, I'm talking just <laughs> relationships in general. Some of those uh, levels, like a work relationship where you just see each other for eight hours a day, clock in, clock out, and go home, that's a little yeah. bit more attractive because uh, you're less likely to get hurt. Just to follow this down just a, a little bit further, and I, don't, I won't walk too far down this rabbit hole, but so much of this comes down to intimacy, which is knowing and being known and safety. And so there is no intimacy without risk. And so to be human uh, means you have the capacity to hurt someone else and to be hurt by someone else. And so we can't totally take that out of human relationships, including in the grief process. But what we can do is know enough of someone's heart for us and see their pattern of behavior consistent enough to open ourselves up to that. Because what happens when we move off into isolation or when someone becomes more detached or avoidant, they would rather be lonely than rejected or hurt. And so that's a pretty dark cave to live in emotionally. And it's better to live a well-boundaried life with safe people that you know there's going to be risk, but you know enough of them to trust their heart. And that's what the heart is the heart of secure attachment. Well, and that makes so much sense with why, you know, social media is an attractive medium to interact with people on. Uh, yeah. Because it's on your terms and you can always uh, power down and leave. Um, wow. It's news for 30 days. <laughs> so, so much there. Yeah, you can snooze people and just add on, or unfollow, whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, so if, if I know people are acting weird, they they may be different from me. I, I go through that. I try to be a little authentic. There's a little pushback. Are, well, let me ask this. Are all my relationships just going to be different after loss? Is that just how it's going to be? Frequently, that's the case, especially depending on the kind of loss. I'm thinking in particular, if you lose a spouse and you have a lot of couples friends, it's going to mean a different dynamic. And that's not necessarily bad. It's just different. Now, typically what you will often find is there are some people that will be safe enough to move even further into your inner circle. And these are your, these are the, the life vest people as you're out on the oceans. These are the people you can turn to that have your back no matter what. And you'll find that there are some people that just, for whatever reason, drift further away. And that's not bad. That's just the nature of how this life event is, is shaping you. Um, and so being okay with life is going to look different and you're recalibrating to a new reality and there's going to be some, some changes when the, when the dust settles. Well, would it be fair to say that in all of this sorting and changing and calibration that recognizing that there is loss in that is maybe half the battle or at least a third? Yeah. So this is a big piece um, even in the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, one of them is acceptance. And so we can spend a lot of energy in denial or pushing back or trying to manipulate or control situations so that we obtain the outcome we think we need. And that can be a lot of energy wasted when reality says, I just need to be relentless in facing reality right now. What is the truth of what's in front of me? And how do I move towards accepting that? So this could be uh, 
understanding that my life's going to look different now that my spouse is not in the scene anymore and accepting the pain that comes with that. And that is a much, uh, much more effective long-term way of dealing with, with a grief. Well, and it's, it's not like in something like that. I think that's why I recognize the, the inequality of grief is that people that lose something like a spouse or a child or that that's not replaceable. And for, you know, somebody who loses a dog or a car or something like that, it is somewhat replaceable. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's a lot of emotion, a lot of feeling attached with those things. Um, let's take what you're talking about just a step further, because you mentioned something interesting there. And I want to ask, what should my expectations be when I recognize my loss like that, what, what should my expectations in processing grief be? And we've talked about that just a little bit with, you know, how you may feel this is going to ebb and flow. Um, but can I expect to just get over it or is that a pipe dream? What expectations should I have going into that? So I'm going to throw out, um, a couple of different, I'll call them mantras that I, that I return to. Uh, one is, I'm not okay and that's okay. So don't buy into the belief that you have to put on this bold face that has it all together and that you're going to be okay. Um, Just reality, face reality, it's not okay. Uh, There's a a, a song, uh, and I'm not going to get the lines exactly, but it talks about how uh, really, especially in a Christian worldview, we live in a broken world where there's going to be loss and apart from Enoch and Elijah, no one gets out alive. I mean, you're going to experience grief at some point in time. And so uh, recognizing that this is going to be a part of life, this side of heaven. And uh, anyway, the line of the song says something like, I know it's not over because it's not okay. And it's an echo of what we wait to see one day, which is glorification and things being set right. And so understanding that we are in that in-between space where things are not okay right now. And that's unfortunate. And you just gotta accept that, that piece of it. And the other mantra is, not every day will be like this day. And so not every day that grief is gonna feel as sharp as it is right now. Not every day will you deal with a disillusionment and, and pain and anguish that you're in right now. I'm not saying it'll never pop back up, back to that box analogy, that pain button's going to get hit from time to time. But that ball's going to get smaller. And it'll become less frequent. Wow, just so much packed into one episode um, on grief and loss. And there is going to be another, uh, a part two to our conversation with Ryan Waters coming up in two weeks. Um, the part two to this conversation, I hope you'll tune into, but until then, um, if you want to reach out and talk more about this, um, you can email me, Nate at gracestoryministries.com. You can email Ryan at Ryan at gracestoryministries.com. You can also go over and, uh, join the community group, on Facebook. Just go to Grace Story Ministries over there and click on groups 
and join. There's a couple questions that you have to answer to get into that. And if you like this podcast, uh, one of the best things you can do to support the podcast is share Grace Story Podcast with your friends. Uh, That may mean on your social media platform. That may mean texting an episode to a friend. Um, We hope that you'll do that and continue to grow the Grace Story Podcast community. Well, that's all we have for you today. We'll be back in two weeks with that second part of the conversation with Ryan Waters. Until then, we hope that you'll continue on your journey of restoration. We'll be praying for you.